Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. The Big Vets on Campus podcast. 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 All right, here we go. Spreading the court. Ten seconds remaining. They just got to throw it under the basket. Under the basket. It's the truth for the win. Gone. Oh! They did it. A miracle. Hutchins. Double water. Hit that one from the parking lot. Shock it off in college basketball. It's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast. This is the Sweet 16 betting preview part two. Today we are going to cover all four Friday Sweet 16 games. I'm Stucky and joining me for this episode, my partner in crime for college football, Colin Wilson. And my college basketball compadres during the regular season, Mike Calabrese and BJ Cunningham. Mike, I know you got a couple live futures available, unlike myself, who lost mine on the, my two on the first day. Uh, so you got to be pretty excited for what the field's looking like. Yeah, with uh, Arizona, Gonzaga, and Kansas, I'm in a pretty good spot, although I don't know quite how to read the the near miss in round 32, what that does to the the energy of a one seed. Usually I, I'm not holding tickets on teams this you know high up the uh, the seeding ladder, but I'm feeling pretty good about it. And as you mentioned uh, before our call, the, the road for Kansas right now, knock on wood, is looking real nice because if they end up running into either Iowa State or Miami, that's a, a two potential matchups that also favor them uh, on the road to the final four. So I'm feeling pretty good. Well, BJ, I'll go to you last because you you don't like me. You don't, your Hawkeyes are gone. My cats are gone. So, Connor, go to you because you have your team in the Sweet 16 uh, up against it spread-wise. Not many people are giving you a chance, but uh, are you excited? Is, are you getting nervous yet? Or is there just like no expectations and you can kind of watch freely because it's either, all right, I think we're going to lose, and if we win, great. So there's really yeah. a, a nice place to be. Yeah, and I feel like the team, I, sh- I shouldn't speak for the team, but I mean, I, I follow their every step from getting on the plane. Everybody's wearing Giants and A's hats and Sharks jerseys. And like, it's, oh, we're going to the Bay, Bayhogs, Bayhogs. Muscleman's going back to his old NBA stomping grounds. It's this great, you know, trip back to the Bay. I got news for you. We got a team that, you know, is essentially as long as the equator that is going to shut down any kind of shot that we try to take from anywhere. So it feels like there's sort of a celebration that we've made the sweet 16. I don't see the hunger that we kind of had last year. And 
So, uh, yeah, you know, I, I bought eight and a half on opener. It's up to nine and a half. I think this thing closes 10, 10 and a half. And, um, yeah, you and I talked about it. There has to be a perfect formula for Arkansas of a chance here. And, you know, speaking of futures, for those of you, you know, that have seen it on the action app, I know somebody pointed it out to me. Yeah. I only had like three futures this year, Gonzaga, Texas tech and Arkansas. And <laughs> the good news is I think one of them is going to make the final four. The bad news is, man, that seating kind of killed me there. Yeah, the, the old luck of the bracket uh, didn't help you out in that case. By the way, Mike, you mentioned one seed that struggled in the round of 32. 22 previous one seeds have won their second round game by five or fewer. Since 2010, they are one and four against the spread in the Sweet 16. The last two, Duke and Kansas, 2019 and 2018, won by two and four. It's since 1985, 15 of the 22 won outright but only 10 covered, so they went 10 and 12 against the spread, for what it's worth. Uh, BJ, no Hawkeyes around. And, and look, I was I was even getting excited to potentially watch uh, the Iowa women, They're the most explosive yeah, I, player. in, And then she they got they got buzzer beat. We couldn't get any buzzer beaters on the men's side. And they got a, I think we got like a close to a buzzer beater when Creighton beat Iowa. So tough, tough weekend for uh, Iowa fans. Yeah, you know what hurts even worse is the the Creighton player who hit the three pointer to go up one was an Iowa transfer that went to Creighton. So just a big time dagger, and then we missed three bunnies at the end to lose and go out as a two seed. Um, yeah, it's it hurts because especially with the Iowa men, uh, still haven't made the Sweet Sixteen in my lifetime. So uh, Colin really soak in that Sweet Sixteen because if you're like me, it might never come in my lifetime. So, uh, but you know what? It's all right. I have one future left. It's Villanova 25 to one. It's not looking that great, but who knows? Crazier things have happened. Well, I to tag on to that sweet 16, I just want to let everybody know we have signed two five stars. We have two four stars. There's another five star considering us or Gonzaga. We'll be right back here next year. Well, we had a top five pick, so <laughs> anything can happen. All right, let's move on to the games. we got four games to cover. We're going to go in chronological order. And we actually have uh, – it wasn't a ton of upsets in the first two rounds, but all the – the, the biggest ones that are playing tonight, you have a lot of chalk matchups as from a seating perspective that happened on Thursday, a lot of short spreads. Not the case in, in two of the matchups here. We have a 10 versus 11 that we'll get to later in Miami, Iowa State. But we'll start off with a 15 seed in St. Peter's. Knocked off Kentucky to knocked off Murray State. These, these boys have no respect for the state of Kentucky. 15-seed St. Peter's, who I think is like 19-4-2 against the spread or something like that in this calendar year, just covering machines, taking on the three-seed Purdue. Purdue's a 12-and-a-half-point favorite here, over under 136. For what it's worth, this is the third 15-seed in the history of the tournament since expansion in 1985 <clears throat> to make the Sweet 16. The previous two, Dunk City, nine years ago, and Oral Roberts last year, neither one, both did cover, for what it's worth. And since expansion, there have been 20 underdogs of at least 12 points in the Sweet 16. Only one of those 12 won outright. Indiana, who were plus 13 over Duke in 2002. Uh, the only other two to, that lost by single digits were Arkansas against North Carolina and George Washington versus Michigan, which were both came in 1993, which means that of the 20 underdogs of at least 12 or more in the Sweet 16 – what the we have one, two, three. Yeah, so it looks like like 16 out of the 20 have won by double digits. Now you win by 10 or 11 and not cover. So it hasn't gone that well, but the last two 15 seats have managed to cover in this spot. 
Mike, I'm going to throw it to you first, and I'll, I'll set mm-hmm. this up by saying the one thing that I'm worried about with for St. Peter's here is fouls. If you watch that Purdue game against Texas, it was a little outrageous. They went through the line of 45 times. I think it was the largest foul free throw discrepancy for a team that shot that many in any D1 game in like three years. So a little crazy, but Purdue gets to the line a ton because of their size. And they also don't foul. And they're going against Peter's team that relies on getting to the line and that fouls a ton. They're 348th in foul rate. So if you don't like free throw shooting contests, you might want to avoid this one. Uh, And Peter's better hope that this isn't called super tight because Purdue doesn't foul. They don't pressure you. And Peter's fouls a lot and Purdue draws a lot of fouls. So that could end up being really bad news for Peter's depending on how this gets whistled. But tell me what you think about this game when you first took a look. So as you know, I went to Loyola, Maryland, and at the time when I was there, we were part of the MAC. So I'm going to say some nice things about one of our former fellow MAC. Have you ever been to Run Baby Run Gym? I don't know if that's a new name or not. I believe it's a new name. Uh, I've not been to the illustrious Run Baby Run Gym in Jersey City, but I'm going to say some nice things. First, I think it's a great story that Peacock TV sent the St. Peter's cheerleaders to the round. They couldn't afford to go to the first two first game, right? Yeah, that just that just seems like almost one of those things like that happens in the Olympics from time to time where it's a country you haven't heard of. And they send the one guy, you know, to be in the archery competition. And he has to book his own flight kind of thing. Like, come on, this is March Madness. Like everybody should get to go. It's your one opportunity to, to you know show out for your school. So I think that's a great story that Peacock TV stepped up on behalf of the Peacocks. And then, as you mentioned, I mean, St. Pete's is on an incredible defensive heater. Eight of their last nine, they've held teams to 65 or fewer. They don't give up easy looks. We can get into shot quality. They're 22nd nationally in defensive shot selection. Um, and then it just in terms of what they're up against here, though, like when, once you start to switch gears, it starts to go off the rails a little bit for me. And I appreciate you setting up everything through the historic president of a 15 seed making it of a double, you know, double digit underdog catching so many points here in the sweet 16, but there's just too much for me to like with this Purdue team. And they they have burned me at times and kind of played down to their competition, but this is the number two offense, according to shot quality, they have the ability to hurt St. Pete's in the, in both transition and in the post, obviously with their size. And then once they've built up that lead because they can play, you know, not necessarily an aggressive defense where they're fouling, but having so many bigs on the floor that they have that advantage. St. Pete's is one of the worst shooting teams in the country on two-point shots, 46.1% on two-pointers. That's 313th nationally. So I I think what's going to happen is, as you laid out, Purdue's going to attack, they're going to get to the line, and they're going to be able to withstand that pressure. Like, you know, St. Pete's is going to continually to go inside to drive, but I don't think they're going to convert. I don't think they're going to be very effective at the rim. And this is one of those stories that I just foresee, you know, kind of ending ugly and, you know, America's team as of right now is going to go down and that's fine. I think honestly, this is a a great get for the Mac conference that was really kind of hitching their wagon to Patino and Iona. And I think everybody was a little disappointed when they got booted in the quarterfinals because they seemed like a team that maybe if everything went right, could get to the sweet 16, but here we are with St. Pete's and, I don't know. I, I'm just all over the Boilermakers here. I'm going to take them first half and minus the 12 and a half of the game. Yeah, Purdue's generally a good favorite, this Purdue team in the back. You saw it against Yale. Because it, these mid-majors, they just don't have the size, right? They just don't have any – like St. Peter's has, if you look at their numbers, elite rim defense. Casey Ndefo is an incredible rim protector, but he's not – he's going against like seven footers here. It's a different story. You could take a look at the St. Peter's rim defense and then take a look at that Kentucky game. Uh, Oscar Shibway went bananas – 
He's the only one who showed up for Kentucky. I mean, and at Shackwater had was like a 20 point Kentucky win, which is crazy. But they just missed every three. St. Peter's had the shooting game of their life. But what did she have? 30 and 16. So, I mean, it's not like the rib defense did much. And now you're going up against, you know, some of the other best bigs in the country. And yeah, St. Peter's, their path to offense, because the offense is ugly, you know, unless they're just hitting crazy shots, which you can, which can happen on any given night. But generally speaking, that doesn't happen with St. Peter's, um, is getting to the line. Well, Purdue doesn't foul. They are they have the sixth lowest foul rate in the country. And Peters likes to get on the offensive glass. They're 64th in the country in that aspect. Well, Purdue's 33rd nationally in defensive rebounding. So where are the points coming from for St. Peter's? Because you know Purdue arguably has the best offense in the country. You know Purdue's going to get their points. So, yeah, I think that the, the only way that Peter I could see Peter's potentially pulling this off Number one, they have to just hit crazy shots, right? They just have to go bananas from three. That's the great equalizer. They have to have this not called tight, right? Like they can't get in foul trouble. They pressure, so they have extended pressure. They're going to press. They have to be able to turn Purdue over, and then the refs just have to have like swallow their whistle, and they're able to like hack steals, and then they have to hope Purdue has a bad shooting night. But that's a lot to ask for. Um, so I agree. It seems like the run's going to end here, but maybe there's more magic left. BJ, what are your thoughts here? Any interest in – backing peacock nation uh not really i agree i generally agree with you guys that if i'd laid anything it would be with purdue the thing about st peter's is you mentioned at the rim they attack the rim at the highest frequency of anybody in the country but they're really inefficient in doing so and mike mentioned you know 46 percent from two-point range is really bad well against kentucky 0.83 points per possession at the rim 1.04 against murray state and you mentioned stucky basically the what they have to do is they got to be able to score at the rim, which they're really not going to be able to do effectively against Purdue. And they got to get to the free throw line, which they're also not going to be able to do quite a bit. And the great equalizer against Kentucky was well, like you said, they just went berserk from three and they are a top 10 team in the nation in terms of efficiency on catch and shoot three pointers. And Purdue is, you know, average uh, at defending three point line. So who knows, but at that same token, St. Peter's 247th in defending post-up sets, which is a real problem against the second highest frequency post-up team in the entire country. So I agree with you. I mean, Purdue has massive advantages inside. Colin. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to go with the over here in this game. I mean, I think the spread is at 12 and a half. It just seems like there's a lot of college basketball games when they get out of hand. Uh, It comes down to a team trying to get in within three possessions uh, and then they lose that lead. So it's always like 15 to nine, 15 to nine and 12 and a half is right there in the middle. I'm going to avoid that, and I'm going to lean into an over here. Uh, you know, Ken Palm projects 136. I think shot quality projects 137. But really, it comes down to the free throw rates. Uh, when you look at St. Peter's, you know, 344th in defensive foul rate. I mean, it's, uh, Purdue's going to be at the line all day. Uh, you know, and if you look at wins, I mean, Ivy's been fantastic from the free throw line. Uh, when they have won the game, but usually, you know, their free throw shooter is Sasha Stefanovic, who's, you know, 87% uh, on the year. So they're going to hit almost every free throw that they get. That is points that's going up on the board while the clock has stopped. And, you know, BJ mentioned that catch and shoot threes is the way that they're going to go. But another way that they can go too is St. Peter's does have a pretty good advantage in running screens. Uh, you know, they're 12th in efficiency and, and produce 141st in defending screen. So it's just a matter of the ball is going down. Murray State, 23% from three. Kentucky, 52% from three. So there's just there's too much variance for me to back St. Peter's at 12 and a half. Even at a live number of like, you know, 15 or 16, I still can't get there. Uh, so I think for me, slow pace game, but there's going to be a ton of fouls. And especially when it gets down into crunch time and St. Peter's is kind of grasping the straws. 
there's going to be a lot of free throws and, and, and Purdue's going to hit all of them. And St. Peter's can hit their free throws too, if they ever get to the line. So um, I'm going to take it over here, but the market has gone down to 135 and it's paused. So I'm waiting to see what the next move is. Uh, if we get any kind of push to the over uh, 135 is where we got to buy. One thing I'll mention really quick, uh, St. Peter's, they run this and it's occasionally they'll run this five out back cutting offense that if you're not ready for it, uh, they can burn you a few times. It happened in Kentucky and it happened to Murray state uh, a few too many times. And that's going to be interesting if they want to keep Zach Eady and Travion Williams on the floor, if they're pushing those guys out from outside the paint and just back cutting them to death. So uh, that is one area that I think St. Peter's may be able to have some success, but again, I, they're probably produced probably what they've done pretty much all season is just keep Edie on the floor, regardless of, of size advantages here or there, even if he's a defensive liability on, uh, on the other end of the floor. So, uh, St. Peter's might have a chance there, but other than that, yeah, it's, it's probably going to be uh, Purdue cruising to a win. Yeah. And that could lend itself to an over if that happens because yep. it would just be a Purdue layup drill. Um, and then you would think Peters would be playing faster and not getting any rebounds, but maybe get some back cuts and threes and some mismatches. Um, so I think that would help your over column. The only fear with the over is if it just is a complete blowout and dies late. But um, yeah, I don't mind the over. I lean Purdue as well. As of right now, this is a pass for me. All right, let's move on to three the three other games on Friday night with closer spreads. We start with. The second game, 729 Eastern on TBS. Wow, look, Peter's getting CBS again because it's supposed to be, <laughs> it's supposed to be Kentucky. Peter's is now just the CBS team. Uh, um, throwing in I, NBC's face. Like, what's going on here? We got the Peacock? What is that? <laughs> Friday, 729 Eastern TBS. Providence, the four seed against Kansas, the one seed. We have chalk here. Kansas, seven and a half point favorite over under 141 and a half. Um, I'm actually leaning Providence here. I think I'm going to end up playing Providence. I think Kansas is going to win this game. I think Providence is feisty enough to cover. I mean, Kansas is like, I, I, their path to the final four is incredible. And I think that they could play an up and down game with like Arizona, if Arizona gets there and potentially win that game. They're awesome in transition. It's one thing I worry about in this game. If Providence shots aren't falling, Kansas, who's incredible in transition, um, just all of their guards. And now you're adding Remy Martin in there. They just can't be stopped in transition. And that's Providence's weakness. They are, a horrific transition defense. So if the shots aren't falling, it's just like a double edge. So it's like, all right, now Kansas is getting down the court, but I think Providence can keep this close. I think they can Kansas against like tougher teams that just something that's a little off this is an older Providence team playing with a lot of confidence. They're just making shots right now. I think they're feisty enough to cover this number. I don't think they win, um, but I'm looking at the Friars here, Mike, I'll go to you. I know you have a Kansas future are you worried about Providence at all are you worried about some of the voodoo um or do you think Kansas can win this comfortably had to be a little concerning that like a very undermanned Creighton team man that got scary for a while what do you see here yeah uh, the way I, I set this up it's almost like when you have the winning hands after four cards and hold them and you're waiting for that river the opponent in this spot just has a lot of outs and by that I mean between Bynum Durham Reeves Horchler I mean if he gets hot from three they don't necessarily need one guy to go bananas to win this game. They can yeah. piecemeal it together. They can at different elements of the game. Like you saw it in that, I think it was a triple overtime thriller against Xavier where everybody filed out and they're like, Bynum, you need to go full Iverson the rest of the game. Every possession runs through you. And he did it. 
So to me, what that proves is by virtue of being a veteran team, by having an, a tremendous coach in Cooley, being able to dial up different plays for different players, like I can just see lots of different outs for them hanging around in this game. Not necessarily winning outright. I, I don't have quite that fear, but I think I'm with you. I'm going to go ahead and take them as a little insurance policy on my Kansas ticket plus seven and a half. And I wouldn't be surprised if they can avoid all those transition buckets that Kansas wants to push. If they turn it into that grinder, kind of more traditional Big East half-court game, I think that plays in their favor. And honestly, you know, when it comes to Kansas, everything for – we talked about this like two months ago. For me, it's Jalen Wilson and David McCormick. Like, they are the special players here. And Wilson goes for 14-14 and 14 in the last game against Creighton. You go back two or three games, McCormick, you know, 18-11 and 11 against Texas Tech. When either of those guys give a special performance, when they're all over the floor being stat sheet stuffers, this team goes from really good to elite. And I, I think – in this game, the chances are one of those two will be able to chip it in. But the number, I think, is just priced to, to go ahead and play Providence. Yeah, because Providence, this is a pace clash. Kansas wants to play fast, and Providence wants to grind it down and play it slow, which I, I think that they'll be able to do. Except the only thing I worry about is that they just can't have a terrible shooting night, like from three, because then you're going to have long rebounds, and then Kansas is going to be running. So that's the that's the one concern I have is that they're just if they're they, you know they have like a a three for 19 day from three, it's going to be hard to stay in it. Not only because you're shooting three for 19 from three, but those generally are going to lead to Kansas just taking off the other way. But I do think in general, Providence is going to slow this one down, um, which does work in their favor because Kansas is just deadly when you're playing fast. Uh, yeah. I'm definitely gonna be on Providence here. I've, I've rode them the first two games of the tournament and I'm, I'm doing it again. I didn't think that I would be, betting Providence three straight games in the tournament. If you told me that a month ago in Kentucky, we would have lost the St. Peter's, but here we are with the madness. BJ, uh, are you itching to fade Providence still? Uh, no, I'm just really done with both of these teams. Providence, uh, I mean, they they just have this unbelievable ability for opposing teams to just never make any shots against them. It's, it's truly, truly unbelievable to watch. So, I mean, you mentioned, I mean, I would, if I were to play this, I'd lean Kansas because of the transition numbers. Uh, but apparently, you know, nobody can exploit Providence in transition. So uh, I will ultimately be passing um, Kansas again, like perfect blowout spot for them against a really shorthanded Creighton team. And they just let them hang around for the entire game. Really didn't look that good. So, uh, I mean, I agree with you guys. I mean, Providence can definitely hang in this game and, and probably win uh, and end up with, you know, a Kansas 20 point shot quality win. But, you know, for me, I will ultimately be passing because I'm just, tired of both these teams and kansas yeah, has know. done that time and time again playing down not just the Creighton game yeah a lot of a lot of blowout spots where they just i was like and i don't know exactly what there's no like that that killer instinct there's they don't they don't put the runs on them like like a vintage like top tier kansas seems like when they played tcu they lost at tcu handily they played in the next game in allen fieldhouse for the big like needed to win for the big 12 title and Mike Miles in massive foul trouble. And that game goes right down to the wire, and they can't put TCU away. I think TCU's never even won there in their program history. So, yeah, there's a couple just games where I'm like, this Kansas team just doesn't put teams away. So I think they'll find a way. Baji will make some plays late, and Brown will hit a couple clutch threes. But I don't know. I think, I think Providence hangs around and uh, gets one last cover to piss their faders off. Colin, what are you thinking here? Yeah, I mean, this was a game you and I talked about it when we uh, recorded on Sunday night. I said, I, where's the line going to go? Are we going to get sevens out there for Kansas? And sure enough, we got a couple of books out there that are posting sevens. And you can't mathematically look at the analytics and then make a case for Providence in this game. Shot quality thinks this game should be 12. 
in favor of Kansas. I'm surprised Shockley doesn't think it should be 17. Yeah, uh, you, you you never know, right? But I mean, when I saw that number, I said, well, how does you know how did they make it so high here? And when you break down some of the numbers, Providence has to do whatever they can to stay out of transition because that's where Kansas is just has a ton of advantages. So if Providence is able to keep it out of transition, then I really like the under here. So I think 141 and a half, maybe want to go underneath that if they're able to slow this down and keep Kansas from going up and down the court. And and like like Mike said, I mean, they play to the level of their competition. Well, maybe they're going to go slow here. Uh, but Kansas has a lot of advantages. I mean, they're top 40 in offensive rebound rate. Uh, they have a better effective field goal percentage from inside the arc. And, you know, if they happen to get out of – uh, transition, they can work on the offensive boards. I mean, there's going to be a ton of second chance points when uh, Providence is on the defensive, um, you know, defensive glass. I mean, that they're 312th. Uh, so I can't really find many advantages for Providence on the offensive side. So I think they're going to try to slow it down, grind it up. Uh, and I think Kansas will play to their level. I'm going to do an under here, but as far as taking a side, I'm not sure. I mean, we talk about this in college football. There's just some teams have horseshoes up their ass. You got to quit looking at the Excel sheet, pull back and realize what's going on. I think that's what Providence is. So I'm going to ride with the under and we'll see what I do with the side probably up until tip off. I'm not sure. Providence is broken shot quality. Um, <laughs> all right, let's move on to the late night games. We'll start with probably the game of the night. North Carolina and UCLA, North Carolina, the eight seed, UCLA, the four seed, UCLA, two, two and a half point favorite here over under 141 and a half. North Carolina survived that Baylor, almost incredible comeback. They were up 25 with 10 to go. Manic got thrown out. Carolina, thankfully, it's not college football, so Manic doesn't have to sit out the first half here. That's, he did do a walk of shame, though. He yeah, did have a walk, did a walk of shame. Uh, and then, yeah, they survived. The that. that would have been the biggest comeback in NCAA tournament history. It would have tied. BYU, I think, came back from 25 also in the first four game. UCLA, two, two and a half point favorite. UCLA looked really good against St. Mary's. Um, Colin, I think you and I now disagree on this game. I was into UCLA for the, the their defense, their experience, the, the coaching advantage here with time to prep. I dug into this game. I think I'm leaning towards the heels, but I want you to make your case before I make mine. Yeah, I mean, I'm all about UCLA. I'm not backing off what I said on the podcast the other night. Like, I, I've been in love with this team. I think they're a Final Four team, and just the experience that they have uh, and the number, interestingly enough, as money has been rolling in the last two days. And we know that the public doesn't get involved until Thursday. The money's been rolling in on North Carolina. But UCLA has gone up a half a point since opener. We don't even know what if Jaime Jaquez is going to be in the game. Cronin was asked about it a few hours ago, and he's like, I'm glad we got till Friday. That's all he said. I'm glad we got till Friday. Uh, if he can walk, he's going to play. But to reiterate what I said the other day, if you want the advanced key stat that is big in this game, it's mid-range jumpers. Uh, you know, UCLA is seventh in the nation in frequency. They're 10th in efficiency, and that is a real problem area for North Carolina. So you think about Johnny Juzang and Tiger Campbell and uh, – and Jaime Jaquez, I mean, they will hit from anywhere with inside the arc, and that's a problem for North Carolina. And, and if Cronin, we talked, like I said the other night, North Carolina is, they allow, their average possession length on the defensive side of the ball, they allow teams to walk it up the court. It's like, you know, outside the top 250. So that means Tiger Campbell is going to be able to walk it up across the half-court line. Cronin is going to be able to set his offense, and they're just going to, you know, drain the clock the entire time. I know North Carolina wants to get out in transition and just go wild, which is the best thing that they do, but they don't pressure enough to take the ball away. 347th in defensive turnover percentage, that means you're going to let Tiger Campbell have a free game to roam and do whatever he wants. Now, I hope Jaime Jaquez is healthy. We'll see. 
But this mid-range jumper, I, I, I can't get over how much of a discrepancy there is here, and I think that's where UCLA beats them. Yeah, I mean, you said wins a lot of games doing that to the anti-Atalinics team. But uh, here's North Carolina's peak. I mean, it's just so good, and we've seen it all year. And there's a couple things I like. You mentioned – I'm going to spin it the other way on the turnovers. North Carolina does not pressure. He does not force any turnovers or just at all. But UCLA doesn't turn it over against anybody. They're top five in, in the nation in turnover percentage. So UCLA is not going to turn over no matter who you play. That kind of like negates that strength. Like no matter who North Carolina is playing, they're not going to turn you over. They're not going to pressure you. They're going to try to get defensive rebounds. And by the way, they're number two in the country in defensive rebounding percentage. What is that? So that number one, that negates, that helps negate one of the strengths of UCLA, which is the offensive glass. It also can lead to transition opportunities for North Carolina where they are really good, and UCLA's defense is really bad. They're outside the top 300 in transition defense. I think Carolina can thrive there. Also, UCLA, where else do they struggle on defense? Because they're really long. They can bring in this, like, death death defensive lineup. But they give up. You can beat them on catch-and-shoot threes on the perimeter. You can do that last year. You can do that this year. They're outside the top 300, again, on catch-and-shoot threes. And – what is UNC thrive on this year? Catch and shoot threes. They're really good in that aspect. And they, they're they 68th in shot quality, points per possession on catch and shoot threes. They're 41st overall in three-point percentage. So I think Carolina can hit some shots. They can get some defensive rebounds, get out in transition. I think this goes right down to the wire. And that's not even throwing in the fact that Hawkins might not even play. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and one of UNC's weaknesses is they don't pressure you and they don't get out on the three-point line. And part of that is they want to get the defensive rebounds. They want to get back out in transition. UCLA doesn't shoot threes. So, like, okay, that they're outside the top 300 and three-point percentage, too. So, I don't know. I think that the, the peak of UNC, if they play to their peak, is better than the peak of UCLA. Now, you, North Carolina, if I look at my numbers, they have – obviously, they're, they have a way, way higher variance than UCLA. But a lot of that is – some games they just didn't show up defensively. But now, like, it's the tournament. I feel like you can count on them to lock in – on the defensive side of the ball. So I'm leaning heels here. Um, and it would just be an added bonus if Hawkins can't play, but obviously it's a big variable and he's really important to them. So if he's, he's a go, it's going to give UCLA a boost. Help us break the tie. Michael, go to you first. Yeah. I'm on North Carolina money line here. Um, you know, whether Hawkins plays or not, what's interesting to me is when UCLA hit their absolute peak as they were cruising to, you know, the final four last year, Johnny Juzang, you know, played some hero ball down the stretch and this year, he hasn't hit 20 points since early February. It doesn't mean that he hasn't been a, a part of, you know, the, the winning process or anything like that. But he has been hampered with a few injuries. You know, Mick Cronin is historically very tight-lipped with things like that. I mean, obviously, you're seeing it with the information he's stolen out with Hawkes. So that just, to me, when I, when I pair that with the times in which they've been forced in Pac-12 play to rev up their offense and to win in the game scoring in the 80s, they went one and two against Arizona. To me, that's really the only comparable, you know, comparison in terms of what they may face if North Carolina gets to play the speed and tempo that they want to play in this. And then finally, I made the analogy before about having, you know, the right number of outs on the table. In this case, UCLA, the shots have to drop from the mid-range because you're up against the third-ranked, you know, defensive rebounding team in the entire country, and Baycott's just going to gobble up everything in sight. So it does put added pressure playing at a venue, you know, across the country with I'm sure a lot of North Carolina fans there, if things aren't going well early, I just see North Carolina not only being a live dog, but very quickly in terms of the the live numbers, um, you know, adjusting to it. I think you'll see them very quickly become the favorite in this game. Yeah, I remember UCLA should have lost in the first four games last year. And if that happens, what is the narrative on this team? It's not 
no, it's and, and like their priors are all different, and the tournament is crazy. BJ, are you gonna are we gonna go on three one heels here? Or are you gonna make it a tie? No, I'm gonna make it a tie. I'm gonna go with my friend Colin and take UCLA. I agree with him. I think the mid range jumper advantage for UCLA is gonna be really really large. Uh, obviously, you mentioned the turnover uh, advantage for them as well. I would agree with you, Stucky and Mike, that it does worry me a little bit that, oh, actually a lot bit, that North Carolina is so good on the defensive glass, that they're so good in transition, that UCLA is so bad in transition. But if this game is played in the half court where North Carolina is most effective is in off-ball screens, which is one of the reasons why they're able to beat Baylor. Well, UCLA is top 50 in terms of defending off-ball screens. So I think, it, and they're also, I think they'll be able to handle Baycott down low. They're top 50 in defending post upsets. So that's going to put a lot of pressure on North Carolina to continue to knock down threes from behind the arc, which they are capable of doing. But if you look at the shot quality numbers, they should be regressing, you know, a few percentages from behind the arc and UCLA is 52nd in the country in allowing open three pointers. So I think it's a decent matchup here for UCLA. I think they're good enough defensively to, to, to hold North Carolina uh, from behind the three point line. So uh, I'm going to agree with Colin uh, and take minus two. Uh, I think the number is just, you know, a few points too low, but I do agree with you guys that there are some things about uh, advantages for North Carolina that do worry me, but it's, you know what, it's going to be a really fun game. But Mike's right though. Juzang has to come back to what he was last year for this team, especially if Jaime Hawkes is not there. And, you know, he had all those injuries leading up to the end of Pac-12 play, finally played a 38-minute game in that loss to Arizona. And Mike mentioned they were one and two against Arizona, leading comfortably in that game until the middle of the second half. And then either just ran out of gas or Arizona hit that second gear like they did against TCU. But Johnny Juzang is going to have to be uh, 2021 Final Four-ish uh, to get them over this hump. So we'll see. We'll see if they've got that in them. All right. Well, there was enough hesitation from BJ and then a little pullback from Colin. So, and I'm the host. So uh, if you are still undecided, the official episode pick is uh, North Carolina. Mike and I win. All right. Let's go to the final game of the night. And Colin and I are going to disagree on this one too, because we disagreed on the Sunday podcast. Iowa State, Miami, two double digit seeds here. Iowa State, an 11 seed, Miami, a 10 seed, Miami, two and a half point favorite over under. 133. This game's at 959 Eastern on TBS. I think this is a simple handicap. I think this just comes down to turnovers. That's it. Iowa State relies on forcing turnovers. This is a half-court offense that ranks in the 20th percentile in points per possession per synergy. Awful half-court offense. They just need to make circus shots in half-court. That's that's it. That's their only path to offense. If they get out in transition with their high-pressure defense, they cause a lot of turnovers. They're fourth in the nation in, in forced turnover percentage. Then their offense can get some points. That's not going to work here. Miami, multiple ball handlers on the court at all times. They are sixth in – they have the sixth fewest turn, sixth lowest turnover rate in the country. They're as equipped as any team in the nation to handle heavy pressure, and they can make Iowa State pay for their aggressiveness on the perimeter, back cuts, guards driving to the hole. It's on the other side where I think there's going to be major turnover issues with Miami. I mean, Miami is the top 60 in the country in forced turnover percentage. Iowa State, their offense, 294th in turnover percentage. We saw Miami do that to USC. Miami couldn't make a shot. They were 1 of 14 from 3. USC was 9 of 20. Miami still won because they turned USC over 18 times, and they only turned it over themselves three times. I think that's we're going to see that same script. And guess what? When Miami gets out in transition, the most efficient transition offense in the country. That's where they're going to get their points. Uh, so I think that that's like – I mean, Miami's weakness all year – it's like their, deep, their interior defense is real bad. They can't rebound. They're not huge concerns against Iowa State. 
the one thing that I'm and look, uh, look Miami looks so much more impressive this tournament. They just just dismantled Auburn and they beat USC despite shooting one of fourteen from three. You know, Iowa State beat an LSU, a dysfunctional LSU team without a coach, and they needed Tyrese Hunter, who's like a twenty percent three point shooter, to go, to go Steph Curry and hit seven threes. And then they get they beat Wisconsin when. Hepper and their point guard goes down and they can't run offense. Now, Big 12 has looked a lot better out of conference. And Iowa State, if you remember, they did look really good pre-conference, which is a little bit of a concern of mine. But matchup perspective, this is all canes for me. I'll take Laranega, too, and the coaching advantage. Miami money line, Miami money line, Miami money line. But, Colin, you have Iowa State. Make your case. I do. I, I love Iowa State at two. I, after you and I recorded the podcast, it was at uh, one, one and a half, came up to two and a half. At, and I, I'm not really sure where the direction it's going to go from there, but uh, I might take another bite at two and a half. And, uh, you know, I on the defensive glass, Iowa State has a huge advantage. But you're right. If the transition is working for Miami, uh, you know, Iowa State's 102nd defending in the transition. Um, and they're going to have to hit all of their shots because they're not going to get a single offensive rebound. Uh, so if, you know, if Iowa State is able to defend the rim, something that they're 43rd at, uh, they're going to have to get down the court fast enough to do it. They should, you know, be able to gobble up all of that. But Miami just has no answer on the other side of the ball. Again, in mid-range frequency and mid-range efficiency, Iowa State is top 50 in both of those. And that's where, you know, Miami's 274th in defending it. So uh, I think this is one of those things, again, where we can point out Miami's going to do this and Iowa State's, you know, kind of okay in transition. Uh, we need Miami to miss because Iowa State's going to sweep up the glass. But when you look on the other side, Iowa State does one thing offensively, and Miami is really bad at defending that. And to use the term that they dismantled Auburn, okay, Texas A&M did too. We knew Auburn was complete scrap, like outside of where they when they play at home. Like they covered every single game except for two at home. When they got on the road, they were absolutely terrible this year. And, you know, Texas A&M, I think shot 60% for three from them. And I, I really hate myself for, you know, even putting Auburn into the sweet 16 of my brackets that are all trash now. Uh, I think Iowa State has got the goods, but, you know, to pull this off here. So I'm sticking with it. I see a two and a half on the board at a sharp shop. I'm going to see what direction that goes, but I might buy it again before tip. You're a more you're relying on more mid-range jumpers. Colin, you better hope all your mid-range jumpers are going. Uh, BJ, one one, start us off here. Miami, 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 Miami. I mean, this Iowa State team sucks. I'm sorry, their offense is so so bad in the half court, and they're stuck in this matchup because you mentioned it, Stucky. A little alliteration there. Um, so if Iowa State wants to play this in the half court, they are outside the top three thirty in points per possession in the half court. They didn't get they didn't average over 0.8 points per possession in their first two tournament games, which is really, really bad, which is how you have to beat Miami because they're 175th in half-court offense. So if Iowa State, who's better in transition offensively, wants to get this game out in transition, stuck you at the nail on the head. Miami's the most efficient team offensively in transition. They're also top 60 in defending in transition. They won't turn the ball over. It's going to be – Iowa State is stuck. I don't understand how they're really going to score efficiently in this game. And then – if I don't really know if they really want to defend in the half court against Miami and turn this into a, a slog type game if they can't actually score themselves in the half court. So uh, I am all over Miami in this one. Uh, it, what's more impressive about Miami too, their first two games, 1.13 points for possession at the rim against USC, second best rim defensive team in the country, 40 points at the rim against Auburn, against Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler. So even though Iowa State's 44th in the nation in defending at the rim, I still believe Miami's going to have success there. So I am with you, Stucky. I am all, all over the Canes in this matchup at minus two and a half. I think they're going to run Iowa State right out of the gym. 
abandoning your friend Colin. Mike, are you well, when it comes to Iowa State, I'll, I'll abandon anybody to go against them. That's fair. Mike, are you going to save Colin here or are you tipping the scales? Just call me Sebastian the Ibis because I am in on the Canes here to make this a clean sweep. Here it is, real simple. For Iowa State to get here, they needed to have the game script go exactly their way, which was 19 turnovers against LSU and 17 turnovers against Wisconsin. Miami, on the other hand, you know, they beat USC, they beat Auburn. You know how many threes McGusty made in those two games? Zero. Zero. So I'm going to see a positive shooting regression from him. He doesn't need to play out of his mind to win a game like this. And with Charlie Moore with the ball in his hands for the majority of the time, I feel safe, protected. I'm not going to see him choke this game and just give it away to an Iowa State defense. So I'm in the Canes as well. I'll lay the points. Sorry, Colin. Well, maybe you can be extra gloating to the three of us next week. All right. That'll do it for the four previews. But we still have – couple other things to cover here. I'm going to go, we're going to get just one best bet if you had to make it tomorrow. But first, all right, we did this on the last episode uh, where we previewed Thursday night games, myself and the guys from the three-man weave. Looking at the bracket right now, you can adjust to what you had. You can switch it up. Who do you have winning it all and against who? Mike, I'll go to you first. What is your national championship matchup and, and who's your winner? You know what's interesting? Um, for a team that's won two titles since 2016, Nova not getting a lot of buzz. Maybe it's just because I, I live close to Philly and you know, people obviously are still talking about this team. On the national level, they're just not getting quite the respect I think they deserve. And I really believe that they have the kind of chemistry and you know formula to go through round by round and get by in close games, particularly their foul shooting. So I see Nova against Gonzaga in a, you know, religious <laughs> final championship there with the Gonzaga. Je- Je- yeah. Jesuits versus uh, the Augustinians. Yes. Augustinians. So uh, the August Augustinians are bigger drinkers, but I think the Jesuits will be happier by the time the final horn sounds. Uh, BJ. I had Arizona winning it all uh, over Kentucky to begin with. Uh, obviously one of those teams is not going to be in the national championship game, but I did have Texas tech over Gonzaga. So I'm going to say that the, Arizona Wildcats are still going to win the title, uh, but they are going to win it over the Purdue Boilermakers. Colin, any hogs love? <laughs> no hogs love for me. I'm on I'm on Gonzaga minus eight and a half. I might take nine and a half before I go to bed tonight because the more I think about this game, it's not going to be pretty with our bench. Uh, I had uh, the original national championship set out at Texas Tech uh, in Arizona, but I'm going to change that here on the fly. I think Arizona is going to get upset. I think Houston can beat them. We, we talked about this the other night with TCU, what they did uh, with their rebounding. The, the differences is Houston just has more playmakers. They're going to be able to do exactly what TCU did. Uh, Arizona is going to have to be on point from the second that game tips. Uh, if I try to pick another team out of that bottom half of the bracket, that's going to be rough. Villanova can probably hang with Houston. So maybe I would go Villanova and Texas Tech in the finals. Uh, if Arizona can get past Houston, then I'll stick with that. But I, I really think there's going to be an upset here. So what is your pick? I don't even know what your pick is. Your pick is all conditional. I'm going to stick with what I I had. Tech, I had Arizona beating Texas Tech. I'll stick with it. But I am going to say, I don't know. Can I say that? I think Arizona's losing to Houston. So I don't know how that works. All right. Colin has every possible matchup is, is what his pick is. <laughs> uh, all right. One final order of business before we get out of here. Best bets. One bet you got to make for tomorrow. Could be a, You could go future. You could go uh, look for this live, however you want to go with it. Uh, Mike, I'll throw it to you. Uh, I would say the best play on the board for me is going to be Providence plus seven and a half. I, I really think it, it's going to be a game that's going to lend itself to being one or two possessions down the stretch. 
And as tournament play usually, you know, reveals itself, there's a lot of timeouts, there's reviews, there's a lot of pressure. It's a Kansas team that does not scare me to run away from an opponent, particularly a good one. So I'll take the Friars plus seven and a half. I would agree. BJ, I'll go to you. Miami minus two and a half. Iowa State's game plan is just stuck. They can't play in the half court because they can't score there efficiently. If they want to get out in transition, they're playing against the most efficient team in all of college basketball in transition. There are just so many advantages for Miami uh, from the turnovers on offense. Uh, it's just, it's really a terrible, terrible matchup for Iowa State. So give me the Canes minus two and a half. Colin? Yeah, I'm going to stick with uh, St. Peter's and Purdue to go over. I might go with a team total over on Purdue. Uh, if St. Peter's is not able to hit their shots at some point, that Murray State 23% three-point shooting scares me a little bit that this could just get turned off at any point. Purdue is going to hit every single free throw they go to the line for. So I would say I'll split a half unit on over 135. I'm going to put another half unit on Purdue's team total over. Uh, and then I'm going to go with UNC. Uh, I think that, you know, the, the questions with is Hawkins going to play? Uh, I don't know if Hawkins is going to play. If he doesn't, it's obviously going to provide a boost to UNC. But how can UNC score here? transition off defensive rebounding it's going to take away a strength of UCLA and the offensive glass as well catch and shoot threes a weakness of UCLA's defense where UNC can thrive and look UNC doesn't turn you over they don't press you out in a three-point line but UCLA doesn't turn it over anyway and they don't really shoot threes ah UNC's peak I think is better than UCLA's peak give me the heels to get it done all right that'll do it for us thanks for tuning in Make sure you download the award-winning Action Network app and subscribe to Big Bets on Campus wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure you subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe, leave a review. really helps us out, five-star reviews. Got tons of uh, giveaways to do if you leave a five-star review before the end of the season. Big Bets on Campus live, by the way, 10.30 a.m. Eastern, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, every day of the tournament. We'll tweet out the link on Twitter. Make sure you check that out as well. Myself and the guys from Three Man Week. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to BJ, Mike, and Colin for joining me. Enjoy the madness and good luck with your wagers. Cheers.